This week on Geek Explained, what is the perfect Marvel comic? In this episode, I make the case for my personal answer to this question as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Doctor Strange the Oath. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, coming at you from a very chilly Los Angeles. It has been very cold. <laughs> very cold the last couple of days, though the weather here is always like, you never know what's going on here. But uh, this week's episode, very excited. It's our 195th episode. Um, the March to 200 is real, y'all. Next week, we kick that into high gear. Um, and I'm very excited about another announcement I have at the end of this episode for next week and beyond on the way to 200. But this episode, very excited. We're talking about my personal pick for the perfect Marvel comic, and that is Doctor Strange The Oath. I have loved this comic for a very long time. I've been waiting to talk about this comic for a very long time. So in this episode, we're putting the Geek Explain spotlight on this comic to celebrate just a fantastic story. And we're going to be talking all about it. We're also talking about this week's comics countdown, where I'll be going over every single comic that you should be checking out. Uh, but before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No miscellaneous news for this week, so we're going to dive straight into TV news. Just one quick piece of TV news here that I think a lot of people are going to be excited about. Peacemaker! Peacemaker has been... Uh in the collective consciousness and been running wild all over social media for pretty much its entire run ever since they dropped the opening sequence. Do you really want to? Do you really want to taste it? That's all I got to say about that. But after the success of the first season, including the finale episode being one of the most highly talked about in HBO Max streaming service history, they are coming back for season two. James Gunn announced via Twitter that Peacemaker will be returning for season two, which I think is very exciting. People have absolutely loved this show. I am a huge fan of it, and I didn't think I was going to be as much of a fan of it as I am, so... I'm really excited, looking forward to more Peacemaker. Hopping over to comics news, we have two pieces of DC Comics news because they announced two big books. First off, Aquaman Andromeda by Rom V and Christian Ward was announced, and this one's pretty special. This is going to be a, I'm assuming, a black label book alongside the other book that was announced that I'll get to in just a second, and this one 
It's not your traditional Aquaman fare. He's not going to be doing any kind of super heroics. He's going to be going deep, deep into the dark to go through a psychological horror comic. So I'm very excited about this. This is what I think a lot of people thought when they heard James Wan doing Aquaman. Okay. Okay. He knows how to, he knows how to do horror. All right. I'm in on this. But... I'm very excited. Rom V is an incredible writer, and Christian Ward's art is stunning. Just check out that Black Bolt run. Oh, so good. So I'm very excited about this. They released what I'm assuming is going to be the first cover. Uh, looks really good. Aquaman looks haunting. So I'm very excited about this. Looking forward to this coming out. And then the other big black label book from DC Comics they announced was Danger Street. Uh, this is written by Tom King and reunites him with his Batman and Rorschach collaborator Jorge Fornes alongside colorist Dave Stewart to tell what seems to be like an anthology story. Uh, they've stated that it's going to be 22 main characters, which you gotta have an anthology story if you're trying to manage that unless you're doing you know 52 but that was also written by a bunch of different people so i am really interested to see what they do here they are digging deep 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 down into the pool of dc obscure heroes we're talking characters like metamorpho who's granted not super obscure but we're also talking about lady cop uh i i have no idea about lady cop i don't know what's going on there's also a band of kids who I can't remember their name for the life of me right now, but they look like basically DC Goonies, and I am always in on that idea. So looking forward to this. We're going to have to see exactly what this story is. I'm not sure exactly what they're working on with it, but I'm very interested, I'll tell you that much. Finishing off the news segment with our film news, we have three pieces of film news here. First off, Constantine, House of Mystery has been announced. It's a DC animated film that is apparently a sequel to Dark, Dark Justice League, Dark Apocalypse, Dark War. And I thought we had moved past the need for this DC AMU uh, film nonsense, but apparently... Not. Uh, Constantine, as the story goes, being voiced once again by the incomparable Matt Ryan, wakes up in the House of Mystery, having been condemned there following his messing with reality. Weird. A, uh, a mystic-based character being punished for messing with reality. I'm not going to, you know, throw stones here, but... If you're seeing what I'm saying, I think you know what I'm talking about. But alongside this, they're also doing what seems to be this is going to be like an anthology, another anthology story, but with the Constantine story kind of lacing through. Because they're also including uh, the shorts that have premiered previously, Blue Beetle, Losers, Commandi, I think is in there as well. So it sounds interesting. It's more... Sounds like it's going to be more like a coda to the uh, DCAMU universe before they fully commit into uh, the new DC status quo when it comes to their animated films. By the way, I finally got to watch Justice Society World War II. That there is some good watching. I love that. I love the Justice Society. I just... The film is great. Go watch it. It's great. Aquaman is he does stuff so i am interested to see this but 
I'm more interested in the other two pieces of news here, which, jumping over to the Marvel side of things, first off, we finally have our chameleon in the Craven the Hunter solo film, Craven the Hunter, of course, being played by Taylor. Aaron Taylor Johnson, Taryn Ayler Taylor Tandon Johnson. <laughs> um, we now know that Fred Heckinger uh, of White Lotus fame has been cast as the chameleon. I am not familiar with Fred Heckinger. Um, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. If I'm saying it incorrectly, I apologize. Uh, I haven't really watched White Lotus, but uh, he seems interesting. He gives me... He, you know, I'll be honest, he gives me very much Paul Dano vibes, which I think is great for a chameleon character. And I'm, again, can't wait to see Paul Dano play the Riddler in The Batman. But I am very curious to see what kind of role Chameleon is going to play. Because for those of you who aren't aware, the chameleon is Craven's half-brother. And so I don't know how, is he going to be the villain? He's going to be a supporting character? I don't know. Should be interesting, though. But the big news that I'm sure everyone's talking about, Spider-Man No Way Home is back in the news today because they just announced the home release for this film alongside a little uh, fun meme tease on Twitter showing off the three Spider-Man doing the point thing that everyone's been waiting for them to do. But we got the announcement that uh, the film will be releasing on digital on March 22nd, so that's a month away. And then it'll be releasing in 4K, Ultra HD, and Blu-ray on April 12th. So you don't have to wait very long if you couldn't see the film in the theater for, you know, whatever reason. So strap in. It's going to be a bit of a wait, but it is coming. So make sure you set your calendars. But that is going to wrap up this week's news. And speaking of Marvel, that is going to roll us right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is my answer to the perfect Marvel comic as I put the Geeksplain spotlight on Doctor Strange, The Oath. It is Doctor Strange, not Master Strange, not Mr. Strange, Doctor Strange. When I became a doctor, I swore an oath. What is the perfect Marvel comic? It's a question people have pondered for years. I mean, Marvel's been churning out stories for the last 80 years, and there's a lot to choose from. But I have been thinking about this for a while. I mean, I've been a fan of Marvel for a very long time. I've been a fan of comic books for a very long time. And as the one of the big two... Marvel has many stories that people would describe as perfect. And when I posed the question on Twitter last week, first of all, thank you so much to everyone who uh, engaged with it, everyone who commented, everyone who posited their own uh, choice for perfect Marvel comic. There was a through line that I saw. And with each choice, with each reply, with each um, new book that was posted within the Twitter thread, um, some books that I was familiar with and some books that I was not familiar with. So thank you so much for those of you who did that. Um, one through line was that 
these books were quintessentially Marvel. They represented what Marvel was, and furthermore, they represented what the character is that featured in the leading role of that book. And when I was thinking about what the perfect Marvel comic is, I came down to four criteria, four pieces of judging rules that I think helped me decide on what the perfect Marvel comic is. So, my four criteria are, first of all, Marvel has always posited itself as Marvel, the world outside your window. So this is the blending and the blurring of the lines between fantasy and reality. Uh, Marvel has always kind of represented this world that could exist here with us. There's been a huge push with the MCU to make Marvel Universe feel more real. And even before that, in the comics... None of the characters came from Metropolis. None of the characters came from Gotham City or Keystone City. They came from New York, which is a real place. Obviously, Marvel has, you know, Wakanda and stuff like that. But there's, I mean, we don't know. It's not real. Uh, Marvel has always been this, you know, this power fantasy for... Maybe power fantasy isn't the right word. But it's always been this uh, wish fulfillment, we'll say that, of... Superheroes could be just outside your window. And that's something that I think, if you're looking for a perfect Marvel comic, you should have that in mind. What about this book can feel like it's happening right now as you're reading it? The second piece of criteria was the blend and the mixture of superheroics with ordinary problems. Perfect example, Spider-Man. Spider-Man, on any given day, can go from fighting the rhino to figure out how he's going to pay his electric bill. These are real people at their core who are also dealing with the very unreal realities of superheroics. And for me, when a book strikes that perfect balance of having all of this fantastical stuff going on while somebody's trying to, you know, figure out their medical bills, it's magic to me the third criteria that i have is that any good story at its core is a love story now i know that may sound weird that may sound quaint that may sound antiquated but hear me out every single story that has ever happened has been at its heart if it's good a love story and that doesn't necessarily mean romantic love. It doesn't always have to be romantic love. Platonic love, brotherly love, family love, paternal love, maternal love. All good stories that stand the test of time are stories about two people or more who care about each other enough that they are willing to go through hell and beyond to get to where they need to go and to do what they need to do. And fourth... At the end of this story, you should learn something. Doesn't matter if it's subtle. Doesn't matter if it beats you over the head. At the end of any good Marvel story, you should learn a lesson. You should learn something about the characters. You should learn something about the world. And you should learn something about yourself. Now, I mentioned earlier that there was a lot of Twitter responses to this uh, to this question, which, again, thank you so much. It was really fun to see everybody's choices. But 
I was surprised that the book that I chose never came up. Never came up once. But I was really enchanted by the response. I was really enchanted by people telling their story of why they love this comic, of what the comic means to them, of some people saying, this was my first Marvel comic, and that's why I love it. And something about that really struck me. For a lot of people, the introduction to a character is how they fall in love with that character. Right. I was introduced to, let's say, I was introduced to Batman through the animated series. And so I will always love that Kevin Conroy Batman and hold that Batman near and dear to my heart. That's just how it is. When it comes to certain characters, I fall in love with a character for how they, how I meet them, but I stay in love with that character because of a story that I didn't know existed even before I was introduced to that character. And this story checks every single box for my four criteria, had me fall further in love with a character that I already was enamored with. And without any suspense, because I've already mentioned it in this episode up to this point, my pick for the perfect Marvel comic is Doctor Strange, The Oath, from 2007. And this book posits a question to the reader. Not just to the characters, but to the reader. And that question is, how far would you go to save a life? This is the question that writer Brian K. Vaughn and artist Marcos Martin embarked on in this book. Now, I want to give some love real quick to the uh, creative team on this book. Um, First off, uh, Javier Rodriguez was on colors, incredibly well done, showing a full range from gritty New York Street to otherworldly dimensions. Alvaro Lopez did the inks, which were utilized incredibly well with shadows, with hard lines, and just really upped the ante when it came to intensity in any scene. And Willie Schubert was on letters, and... You would be surprised how important letters are until you see bad letters. And Schubert's work here is not that, decidedly. Uh, Going from incredibly hopeful, incredibly, uh, I guess, mundane is the word when it comes to Marvel's kind of stock style when it comes to lettering, to some of the more fantastical stuff that goes into some of the more fantastical things. But of course, the two MVPs here, Brian K. Vaughn, known for Saga, Runaways, and Paper Girls. Paper Girls! Uh, teamed up with Marcos Martin, who was known for his work at this time for uh, his work on Amazing Spider-Man during the Brand New Day Uh run uh batgirl year one as well as filling in for robin year one and of course kicking off my favorite daredevil run the mark wade run of daredevil and what i love about this creative team is that this feels like a collaborative book you can tell love went into it you can tell that There was an effort to make this an iconic Doctor Strange story. I mentioned before that this wasn't the book that introduced me to Doctor Strange, but it's the book where I truly fell in love with the character. I was introduced to the character through the um, 
the Chris Boccolo and why am I blanking on his name? Jason Aaron. Jason Aaron. The Jason Aaron and Chris Boccolo run of Doctor Strange. Still one of my favorite Doctor Strange runs of all time. If you want to read Doctor Strange comics, start there. Just go forward till today. But after finishing that run and loving that run, I remember asking around for more Doctor Strange comics because I I loved this run. And I was pointed to Doctor Strange The Oath. And Brian K. Vaughn, obviously, comes to every single book that he writes about any kind of comic, any kind of topic, with the idea that he wants to make something iconic. He wants to make something that stands the test of time, and he wants to make something that will help to represent the character as they go forward. And what I love about this book is that it does that in spades. You get the mysticism that you would get from a normal Doctor Strange book. You get all of the fun that you would get from a murder mystery, essentially. And alongside that, there's so much heart. There's so much care put into these characters, put into this world. And this world is fleshed out by the art from Marcos Martin and the rest of the art team, who do an incredible job of making these vibrant characters feel real and feel grounded and not in the, oh, we got to make it grounded and gritty and realistic, but in a way that, yes, these are real people sitting in tights and they look ridiculous and they kind of know they look ridiculous. So what I love so much about this book is everything, (laughs) but we'll start with the premise here. So the premise of the book is that Doctor Strange has found something incredible, something revolutionary, something that could change the world as we know it. And after making this discovery, he's been shot. And so he embarks with Wong and the Night Nurse to try and find the reason he was shot, try and recover what was lost, and try to figure out who was trying to take him and his discovery off the board. Now, speaking of the board, let's talk about the players. The main players in this book are fourfold. Of course, we have Stephen Strange, our main protagonist, the Sorcerer Supreme, Master of the Mystic Arts, Defender of our reality, and the Stephen Strange that we find here is, I don't want to say, you know, more Doctor Strange than we've seen before, but there's a certain air of um, sophistication to him that I really like. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, his version of Doctor Strange is his version of Doctor Strange. It's great. Um, Even some of the more modern stuff, you know, the Jason Aaron run, the Mark Wade run, all have a certain amount of oddly swashbuckling quality to them. But this Doctor Strange feels clinical. Not in a way that alienates the reader or makes them feel like, oh, I don't want to, you know, get to know them, but makes them feel like, oh, this is a professional. He's done this for a while. He knows what he's doing. And yeah, he might be a little confident, maybe a tad cocky, but at his core, he is a good man with a good heart. And that's why he attracts so many good people around him, like player number two, which is Wong. Wong, the trusted assistant of Doctor Strange, sometimes his apprentice, sometimes his master. And Wong here is the emotional core of the book. The 
events of this story really are set in motion because of Wong and with his illness. I I don't want to be as spoilery as I usually am when it comes to uh, when it comes to these geeks flying spotlights, but you find this out fairly quickly. Um, Wong has cancer. Wong has an inoperable brain tumor, and he is, you know, it's terminal. He is going to die, which kicks off Steven's entire arc through this story. And I absolutely love it. But at the same time, Wong is no damsel in distress. He is no sickly, you know, supporting character. He is right there in the trenches with Steven, with the night nurse, and doing things on his own. There's an entire sequence where Stephen Strange is completely oblivious to everything going on around him as Wong is defending him against five would-be attackers. And it is glorious. It is an incredible sequence that I absolutely love. Uh, I just mentioned her here. Player three, the night nurse. The night nurse is a character who we've seen a lot uh, in one continuity that is kind of canon to the MCU now, but kind of not. Uh, Rosario Dawson was the night nurse. We've seen the night nurse, you know, more or less supposed to be portrayed by Rachel McAdams in the Doctor Strange movie, but we don't really know. Uh, The Doctor Strange whole thing is weird when it comes to the MCU, the Netflix stuff, it's whatever. But the night nurse has always been a character that pops up here and there. A medical practitioner who treats who treats superheroes and sometimes supervillains at no cost to them and what i love about this character is that the night nurse who isn't even given a name in this which is one of my only you know one of my only i guess uh critiques of this story is she's we never find out her name um, though I guess it could be stated that, you know, it's, it feels real because they haven't had time to ask names. Anyway, uh, the Night Nurse is this incredibly dynamic character who is not just the person who patches Stephen Strange up in the story. Um, she basically says, okay, fine, you are, you are recovering from a bullet wound. If you get to go out on an adventure, so do I. And she and Steven have such a great back and forth. They call each other Sherlock and Watson. And as they, you know, as the story goes on and the relationship between these three develops, it is wonderful to watch them go back and forth. Even the quiet moments when they're just reacting, you know, with their face, they're doing their face acting, um, is a sight to behold and really does plainly show the reader that these are three fully fleshed characters who are trying to make the best of a shitty situation. Which brings us to player number four, which is our villain of the story. Nicodemus West was a physician and surgeon just like Doctor Strange who operated on Stephen following his near-fatal car accident and was primarily the reason why Stephen still has hands. They might not be the best hands or hands that he, you know, is able to perform surgery with, but he still has his hands thanks to Nicodemus. However, Doctor Strange lashing out at Nicodemus as well as Nicodemus seeing the fallout of his patients, uh, of Doctor Strange's patients, that is, uh, following his inability to operate on them. 
weighs on him in ways that we'll talk about in a little bit, which drives him through different means to become the villain of the story. And it is a wonderful character that Nicodemus provides to be a foil for Doctor Strange. He is built in with insecurities that Doctor Strange just does not have, and the two of them being on equal footing but coming from very different perspectives is so cool to watch and so cool to read through. But the big question that I hear people ask whenever they pick up this book, and a question that I wanted to answer in my reread, in my many rereads of this book, was what is the eponymous oath? What is the oath in Doctor Strange, the oath? Well, there's a couple different answers for that, right? There are, I would say, four different oaths that are taken and or talked about during this story. And that is, first off, uh, Stephen's oath to Wong. Stephen, after finding out about Wong's terminal illness, makes a promise to him that we are going to get you through this. I think, let me pull up the story here. He says, Whether you like it or not, you're going to live long enough to play baka ball with the other dinosaurs over in Washington Square Park. He makes a promise after finding out that Wong has this inoperable brain tumor, that he is dying and that there's nothing he can do about it, that he is going to save his friend. And the scene in which this takes place is immaculate. You know, Strange walks up to Wong having found his prescription medicine, and as the conversation turns to, I'm dying, I'm looking for your replacement, there's nothing you can do. Strange is saying, like, no, I, I can operate you, I can figure this out, and his hands begin to shake. That's something that is a through line in this book. Uh, Doctor Strange hands... Doctor Strange's hands shaking, that's really tough to say for some reason, um, is this motif that continues to plague him in do-or-die moments. And it's just, it's a wonderful time to introduce it into the story. His hands shaking, the pills rattling in the bottle, and he throws the bottle in frustration because he, he needs his friend. He's the person who's been with him every step of the way, and he can't picture life without him. So he makes a promise to him that he is going to save his friend. Uh, the second oath that is made, or at least mentioned in this story, is the Hippocratic Oath. The oath that every single medical practitioner makes at the beginning of their career, which states, Ahem. I will prescribe regimens for the good of my patients according to my ability and judgment, and I will do so at any cost. Now, this oath doesn't just influence Strange's uh, choices in this story. It also influences the Night Nurse. Uh, Strange, because he is, you know, tasked with saving Wong, he makes it his mission to save him no matter what he has to go through. And at the same time, the Night Nurse, because Strange is brought in as her patient, discharges him to go continue his pursuit under one condition, that she goes with him, saying that ultimately if he is going to go off gallivanting to try and, you know, figure out who stole this incredible discovery, she says, If you pop a stitch in the field 
and Wong is too busy having a massive brain aneurysm to repair it. Who do you think is going to help you finish your little mission? Your HMO? Which, I love it. I love it. As an adult, I know what an HMO is. When I first read this, I don't know what an HMO was. But now, because I'm an adult, and I pay too much for health insurance, I do. It works on so many levels. But, again, what I do love about this is that though her... Um, though her initial outward pledge to them is to help them because of, hey, I'm your doctor. If you get hurt, then I'm allowing that to happen. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Eventually, it grows into her personal investment in the story, which I really, really dig. Uh, we also get an oath from Wong to Steven. So Wong, for many people in the... Uh, in the MCU, they know him as this guy who is essentially, you know, the head guy at Comartage and decides, oh, I'm going to help you out because, like, you're cool and stuff. And, <laughs> sorry. Um, and so, in the comics, Wong is specifically tasked. There is a role that he plays with every Sorcerer Supreme. Every Sorcerer Supreme has to have an apprentice. Every Sorcerer Supreme has to have, essentially, a backup. And that's what Wong is for Doctor Strange in the comics continuity. Now, Wong has pledged an oath to Strange to defend him at any cost. And when a giant squid monster makes its way onto the New York streets... That's right. Can't have a good story without a squid monster... Wong, even though he is in pain and on the verge of death, decides to go run into danger after Steven to try and help him. Uh, Nightner saying that, you know, uh, but Strange told us both to scram. And Wong says, forgive me, but the oath I swore to protect my master overrides all other directives, even doctor's orders. And now I think that is... I think that's very interesting, personally, because Wong is using his oath that he swore at the beginning of their partnership to override Steven's orders as his master. It's a really fun paradox that I enjoy. Um, Doctor Strange told them to leave. He says, no, my duty and my oath that I swore to you means that I can't listen to you. I just, I think the writing here is so good and it's utilized so freaking well. And finally, the final oath that is sworn at the end of this story is from Stephen to the night nurse at the end of the story, which of course I will, I will get to um, the two of them have a conversation where the, the squid monster, you know, basically torches uh, night nurses spot and she's not able to, you know, have her practice be out of this totally incinerated building. So, Steven decides you can operate out of here. You're going to operate out of here. We've been through hell and back. Um, we've grown so much closer together. And he says, my recent home invasion to the contrary, the Sanctum Sanctorum can offer you and your patients unparalleled privacy and security. I realize I can't save everyone, but I'd like to help those who will in turn help others, heroes like you. Nightner says, that's a lovely sentiment, Stephen, but are you sure you won't get sick of me leaving my blood-covered scrubs all over your magic wands and crap? And he says, you have my word. And the writing here, while this oath doesn't have as, um, 
have as much weight on the actual story as the others do. The fact that the final line in this story is you have my word and then you get that big the oath uh, graphic in the final image where uh, Night Nurse and Steven embrace. Um, this is the, the beginning of something. This is the beginning of more stories, more adventures, and it's also the beginning of a promise. A promise that he makes to her to, you know, not get sick of her. Which I think is a promise that we as people make to each other all the time. Whether it's your friends, whether it's your family, whether it's your loved ones. Um, this might be the most important oath of the entire story. But... I know we've gone through this. I know that I've spent the better part of half an hour telling you about why this comic is so great. But why is it perfect? Does it fit in to my four criteria? And how did I come to the very difficult decision to make this my pick for the perfect Marvel comic? Well, let's dive into those four criterias here. So... First criteria, if you remember, is that Marvel needs to be the world outside your window and represent Marvel in that very uh, in that very respect. Doctor Strange: The Oath has one of the most perfect cold opens to a comic that I have ever seen, possibly ever. The opening scene involves a rainy New York evening where none other than Danny Rand, the Iron Fist, is sitting in a waiting room. We've all been there. We've all sat in a waiting room for whatever, whether it's a checkup, whether it's something more serious. And Danny Rand's sitting there. He's got an ice pack on his leg. We've got the really just unnecessarily droll uh, waiting room music. And he's not alone. He's sitting there with Aranya, who is a young spider character who would later on become the next spider girl, all this stuff. But the two of them are talking, and I love the way this opens up because they're just sitting there, and Aranya is, like, looking at him. Uh, Iron Strange is... Iron Strange? (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Iron Fist is reading the paper. There's a silence, and then he just goes... Yes, I'm Iron Fist. No, I don't know where Power Man is. We're partners, not a couple. And Aranya's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know. I just, what's ha- what happened to you? And Iron Fist just gives the most blase, you know, like, pulled my hammy fighting a bunch of ninjas. You? Like, I love the idea that Marvel Comics, at their core, uh, re- present superheroes as real people. You know, that was a big criticism for DC back in the day. And it's, you know, it's a criticism for DC nowadays. If you don't read the right DC comics, that Marvel characters are real people while DC characters are gods. And while I think that criticism is way overblown and not even close to the actual reality of things when you read the books, there is an argument to be made that when it comes to making characters feel like real people, Marvel does it almost better than anybody. And this scene that just sets up the ordinary world, which in essence is extraordinary, sets up this entire world to be something that walks the line between the physical world and the fantastic world. And so the two of them are having this conversation in the waiting room, uh, 
Aranya mentions that Spider-Man saved her and gave her, you know, from a beatdown and, you know, gave her the uh, address for this place. When all of a sudden, Wong rushes in, clutching Steven's bloodied body, saying that he's been shot. And this is when we're introduced to the night nurse, where or we, she basically says, you know, Iron Fist, Aranya, you're going to have to go home. I got to operate on this man right now. And as she and Wong bring Steven into the operating room, laying him down, Wong introducing himself, telling her the situation, and Night Nurse turning to him and saying, take a deep breath, Mr. Wong, who's your friend? A ghostly apparition answers, that handsome devil is Dr. Stephen Strange, and unless we work quickly, he's going to be a handsome angel. And that starts the entire story. A perfect, perfect opening to a Marvel comic. Steven having astral projected himself out to help with the surgery. I oh, I love this so much. I love this cold open. Um, right away, it introduces us to three of our four main players, Steven, Wong, and Night Nurse. It sets up the world to be, showing that this is... Within the Marvel Universe, there are other heroes going around, but this is one of many stories that are going on in this world, and it provides you with the introduction to the story that will that will follow. Uh, this sets up New York as, again, the world outside your window, but also as a world of fantasy, a world of magic, a world of... All kinds of preposterous things that happen in this story. But what I love so much about this is that it's incredibly new reader friendly. You could hand this book to someone who has never read a Marvel comic. And they will be able to read it from start to finish and understand the character of Dr. Stan... Doctor Strange, they'll be able to understand the character of Wong, of Night Nurse, of the Marvel Universe, and they'll know that there are more stories to be told. A person who has never picked up a Marvel comic before can open this up and be like, oh, Iron Fist sounds cool. Like, what was he doing when he was fighting those ninjas? Does he fight ninjas? Let me go look at that. Oh, this Aranya character seems really interesting. Oh, she knows Spider-Man. I've heard of Spider-Man. Let me go look up more about her. And someone who has never been introduced to Doctor Strange before, you understand Doctor Strange right in this opening scene. It's just, it's a perfect intro to this world. And it's a perfect intro to these characters and that's in that corner of the Marvel universe, because this story from beginning to end is really a tour of the Marvel mystic corner. You know, you've got, you know, your Marvel heroic, which is Avengers, Spider-Man, that kind of thing. You got your Marvel street level, uh, the Netflix style defenders. You've got Iron Fist, Luke Cage, those characters. You've got your Marvel cosmic, which comes to, you know, sometimes the X-Men, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, characters like that. And then you got Marvel Mystic, which is all of these incredible characters. And they're kind of the unsung, the weird ones, the outsiders in this huge Marvel Comics universe. And this story gives you a crash course on that corner of the Marvel Universe, going from gritty New York streets to otherworldly dimensions. And so... 
I would say for this first criteria, being a representative of Marvel, being the world outside your window, and giving you everything you need as maybe a new reader, an intro to Marvel Comics. Big old check on that one. Let's go to the second criteria here. Superheroics crossed with ordinary problems. This... You know, I I just brought it up. I just brought it up, and I'm going to bring it up again because it's a perfect scene. The opening scene, like I said, does a great job juxtaposing the more fantastical elements. Iron Fist look, looks ridiculous in his classic costume. Um, there's all this kind of mysticism with Doctor Strange astral projecting his body out during surgery, but at the same time, these are people who are essentially at an urgent care. Dealing with, you know, a pulled hamstring. Dealing with, you know, some bumps and bruises and scrapes. And so, you get to see the range that this book goes from a scene like that, which on paper seems very mundane, to interdimensional travel when Doctor Strange goes to try and find a cure for Wong by traveling to Atkid's dimension for a... Very specific reason. He believes that whatever thing that Otkid is guarding, named Otkid's elixir eventually, uh, this will be able to cure Wong, his very specific, very rare genetic disease. And this is, at the same time, juxtaposed by the reason that Stephen is doing this, and that's Wong's cancer. Wong has something that people deal with, Every single day, you know, people deal with, and I guess you could even go on a more macro scope as well, even if it's not just cancer, a chronic illness or a terminal illness. And one friend trying to save the other at any cost, by any means necessary, is something that we all can relate to. We all want to see our friends do well. We all want to see our friends thrive. And when something is happening that doesn't allow them to do that, when something is directly standing in the way of them living their lives, we want to get that thing the frick out of the way. So Wong's cancer is juxtaposed with this solution, Otkid's elixir, which eventually they figure out is not just a cure for Wong's condition, but it's a cure for cancer. And as the story goes on, where they try to grapple with okay, we found the cure for cancer, but are should we be allowed to use it? It is discovered that it's not just a cure for cancer, it's the panacea, which is an elixir that basically is a cure for everything. Any kind of ailment, any kind of disease, this would eradicate it. And so there is a big question, a big moral question, posited in this story and it is deeply affected by our antagonists first off i mentioned him earlier nicodemus west the primary antagonist though not the big bad is this character who is so interesting on so many levels he's a fascinating antagonist to dr strange because he is dr strange having made one wrong one wrong choice. Nicodemus West was a gifted surgeon who, like I said, saved Doctor Strange, saved his hands, but was ostracized by Doctor Strange for not operating on him to the level that Strange would have expected. And as time went on, Stephen Strange disappeared to go do his uh, training in the mountains with the Ancient One and Kamrataj. 
Nicodemus West had to stay in the real world. He had to stay and watch as Strange's uh, patients, who Nicodemus could not treat, suffered and died. And the guilt that he felt because of all this drove him to seek out Strange so that he could ask his forgiveness and find him and save him because he believes if he just fixes Strange, then he'll be able to alleviate his guilt. And ultimately, this puts him on a terrible path dealing with running into the Ancient One, dealing with leaving, you know, leaving any kind of caution behind to try and take shortcuts and make his way in the world, ultimately backing him into a corner with the actual big bad of this story, which is Big Pharma, folks. That's right. This is an anti-corporate podcast. Welcome. If this is your first time joining here, our healthcare system is bad. And if you participate in this, and if you are part of this, you are bad. I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. Big Pharma, in this case, Timely Pharmaceuticals, which I think is incredible. For those of you who don't know, uh, Marvel was once Timely. Just incredible. I love it. I love it. It's, 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 it's wonderful. Um, Timely Phar- Pharmaceutical is this shadowy organization that um, is focused on really exploiting our healthcare system to line their pockets while letting people who are suffering die. So again, real world problems, <laughs> real world problems that we are dealing with in the day to day crossed with supernatural hijinks. And they essentially blackmail Nicodemus into being into working for them. And they are the shadow that is kind of looming over this entire story. We never even see truly any one of their faces. Uh, we see the outlines of their faces, uh, negative space in their faces with the discerning features filled in with shadow. Um, it is terrifying. They, in any other story, if they weren't, you know, timely pharmaceuticals, they would be like some kind of council of evil sorcerers and all kinds of nonsense. But here, they are something that is very real. They are something that we are faced with every single day, which is greedy corporate chills trying to get themselves rich off of the sick and dying. And all of this together, paired with the panacea, paired with this multidimensional, almost murder mystery are a wonderful blend of superheroics and ordinary problems. So that's a big ol' check number two. Now, the third check is a little bit harder to discern because, as I said, my third criteria is any good story is, at its heart, a love story. Oh, wait, no, it's not difficult because it's right here in the book. Now, as we've seen with other pieces of this uh, of this case that I'm making here. Uh, there's four loves in this story. The first, obviously, Doctor Strange and the Night Nurse. This is, uh, this is their love story. This is how, this is their meet cute. This is them going through hell together. This is them going through other dimensions as well together and ultimately coming together at the end and falling in love. That is very at its core. This is in that book. And while it is 
cliche to have, you know, oh, your love, your story is a love story. The way it's handled is really nice. The way that it grows from a doctor-patient relationship into a friendship, into a partnership, into a romance, I think is really well done. It's paced really well. It doesn't ever feel like it is at any time rushed or propped up or fake. There's this wonderful moment when they're about to break into the uh, inner sanctum of the person who shot Doctor Strange where they come to this door, right? And the door has these sigils on it. And Doctor Strange is like, ah, the door is protected by a security sigil. And he says, you know, if you have the strength to, if you have the strength, we'll need to physically break it down, Wong. And Wong, even though he is nearly on death's door, is just like, yeah, sure, I got it. Starts rolling up his sleeves. And Night Nurse is like, hold on, just slow down, Mr. Element of Surprise. I'll get us in there. Pulling out a bobby pin. And she gets to work as Doctor Strange uh, start, you know, starts into this, again, this sort of superiority crap, where he's like, how quaint. But I'm afraid bobby pins only work in the movies. And Night Nurse, as she's working, says, Stephen, for most of my adult life, I've run a back alley hospice that cares for every vigilante in this city. You honestly think I haven't picked up a few tricks of the trade? And pops the door open with that bobby pin, giving him this sly look. And the the look that Doctor Strange gives her is incredible. It is one of those reaction memes that I think is incredibly useful. And he, after getting through this shock, he just kind of like moves past her like, uh, you should wear your hair like that more often. And then he just enters the door. <laughs> Um, I really love the trope of this, uh, this kind of uppity, you know, superior guy gets shown up and is smitten with the person who shows him up. And it's really well done here. It's utilized really well. Both of them have, you know, stuff to learn from each other. And that's the basis for any good, realistic, and compelling love story. But it's not the only love story that's in here. We also have the love between Strange and Wong. Again, a love story does not have to mean romantic love. And if you are of the mind where a good story equals love story means a good story equals romance, you are going to be disappointed by the next three on the list here. Um... The love story, the platonic brotherly love story that Doctor Strange and Wong have for each other is the crux of the book. It's the reason the story happens. Wong and Strange have been like brothers for, at this point, years. In the trenches, going into other dimensions, defending our realm, the two of them have developed a bond that is unlike many that we see in our superheroic books. And... Doctor Strange, from the get, is ready to sacrifice literally everything to save Wong. And what I love about this is that Wong feels the same. He doesn't he doesn't fall to to uh, Stephen's wants and needs. He doesn't you know immediately cow to or whatever the term is, he doesn't immediately, you know, fall in line whenever Steven wants him to do something. He has agency. He has purpose. He has pathos. And the two of them work so well together because they know each other so well. And the fact that even when Steven is shot, Wong is dying. Steven has been shot and Wong 
himself rushes Steven to the night nurse. The two of them are saving each other so many times, again and again and again and again in this story. And it just further develops and it further proves to not just the reader, but to the night nurse, how much the two of them mean to each other. The two of them are like brothers, some in some aspects even closer than a lot of brothers that I know. And with this developing friendship and the um, the the way that we put it under the microscope in this story, the love between Stephen and Wong is very apparent. And it's a very different love from the other two love stories that we have on here, which is, which might surprise you, Stephen Strange and Nicodemus West. Which I know is going to sound weird, but hear me out. Nicodemus West loves the idea of Doctor Strange. He, in a scene where, you know, we get the backstory, we finally understand, oh, this is, you know, this is Nicodemus trying to, essentially he's operating on his idol, right? After the, uh, after the procedure, after Steven is told that he'll never be able to use his hands to operate again, Nicodemus comes in introduced by their mutual friend and or their mutual colleague i guess and he's introduced as you know dr nicodemus west nick is the reason you still have your hands and nicodemus introduces himself the first lines out of his mouth are i'm a tremendous admirer of your work dr strange and he's very you can see at this point early on in this flashback that he is idealizing strange just as much as i as he's idealizing medicine says you know for a while there i was afraid we we're gonna have to amputate but my team and i never gave up hope i know you'll never be able to hold a scalpel again but with enough therapy i guarantee the day will come when you'll be able to shake my hand it's something that means a lot to him he's operating on his idol he's operating on someone who he admires and how is he met by that steven shouts at him you murdered me you myopic amateur you murdered me and this was obviously not the uh, not the response that Nicodemus was expecting. However, this is who Strange was. This is the person he was. He was selfish. He was arrogant. And arguably, he got what was coming to him. And with all of this, you know, vitriol that Stephen is spewing at Nicodemus, he's still trying to placate him. He's still trying to be sincere. He says, your career isn't over, Strange. You could still be a consultant. And after, you know, their uh, their friend Jonas, again, their colleague Jonas, uh, kind of gets in between them. And he's like, I'm sorry, you know, Nicodemus, you know, Dr. West did everything he could do. Nicodemus just says, it sounds like your friend still has a lot of healing to do. And he's trying to, you know, say like, yeah, it was kind of fucked up what you just said. But like, I get it. You're in an emotional state. And he says that he in a later conversation with a mutual patient who does not have the same love for strange that he does. Um, he says, I in no way wanted to hurt Steven. And he's like, I did everything I could to save his hands. And he and he mentions for every one patient he turned away, strange probably saved another 10. I never would have hobbled a man of his skill deliberately. That would have been the same as condemning patients like you to death. And you can tell that alongside this, which is our fourth uh, our fourth uh, love story, 
Nicodemus West, and Medicine. Nicodemus is a student of the game. And not just a student of the game, he is someone who is passionate about helping people. And in his passion, in his naivete, he allows his guilt for not being able to save his idol to drive him to do really bad things. Uh, he seeks Strange out, finds himself in the company of the Ancient One. And as the as the story goes, he... I'm trying... Again, I, I really want you to read this film. So I'm not going to give you so many spoilers. But he goes to meet the Ancient One and for better or for worse, he comes away from it with some magical ability. Not as much as Steven's, but with some. And he tries to use that. His first goal is to try and use it to help people. And he does it the first time. There's a rock slide, he saves this little girl's life, and then he tries to go help another patient, and it goes horribly wrong. Because he doesn't have the skill that Strange does. And because of this, he falls into the hands of Timely Pharmaceuticals and is eventually blackmailed into the position that he is in in the present day of the story. And the two of them are absolutely at odds for this, but they are both driven in the story by their love for for Stephen, it's his love for Wong he's driven in the story. For Nicodemus, it's his love for medicine, and it's love for his idealized version of Doctor Strange that informs every single, even small decision that each of them make in the story. And so, for me, number three, that's a big old check. Which brings us to the final piece of criteria. Something to learn. What is the lesson of Doctor Strange, The Oath. My fourth criteria, like I said, you need to learn something at the end of this story. And there's a lot that you can pull from this. Um, there's a lot that you can pull from this story about mysticism, about the blend of, you know, reality and unreality, about, you know, not cutting corners. There's a lot of stuff that you can learn from here, but the lesson that has always, you know, been imparted on me with the story and the lesson I'd like to impart on you is that sometimes the most important promises are the ones you keep to your friends. Doctor Strange at his core is someone who cares deeply about people from all walks of life. Uh, he and Night Nurse have no reason to care about each other, but as the story goes, the two of them learn to come together because of their uniquely uh, shared perspective on not just helping people, but helping the person. And really, that's what inspires the entire story. When Steven is faced with either saving Wong or saving the world because the glass that is holding Odd Kid's elixir shatters and there's only one drop left. Either you can use that drop to reverse engineer and, you know, make much more for the world to share as this miracle elixir, or you can use this drop to save your friend. And the choice that he makes speaks to his character, 
speaks to his uh, his journey in this story and ultimately speaks to the love and the oaths and the promises that he's made along the way. He has made a promise to his friend, but has also made a promise to defend the world. So the decision that he is forced to make, and again, I'm not going to spoil it for you because you need to read this book because it's incredible, um, is nothing short of extraordinary. And when you take this book as a as a complete work, when you take this book as something that so many people worked so hard on to tell a wonderful story about people, even in, you know, the trappings of this fantastic world that, you know, has gods and aliens and interdimensional beings and specters and ghouls and goblins at its heart it's telling the story of people and telling the story of the person and the best thing that you can do is to help people and that's really at the core of any good comic book story is that when you have the ability to help somebody you should help them and that's ultimately what dr strange the oath and what Doctor Strange, the character, is about. And that's why, ultimately, with all things considered, criteria, creators, characters involved, why Doctor Strange, the Oath, is the perfect Marvel comic. Ooh. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of February 23rd, 2022. This is the segment of the show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And there was no contest we had some really good books i need to mention really good fun books but ultimately for me it was supergirl woman of tomorrow number eight of eight written by tom king art by bill casevely um masterpiece masterpiece uh this book i cannot wait for it to be collected so i can share it with everyone because everyone needs to read this um it's an incredible book. It genuinely, genuinely is. And I love it to death. And just a wonderful, wonderful wrap-up to that series. I didn't know how it was going to end. Legitimately didn't know. But I love the ending. Um, it's incredible. And it is my favorite Kara Zor-El story. So uh, if you haven't yet, try and pick up the back issues. Try and pick up. It's only eight issues, folks. Go pick it up. Or wait for it to be collected because you are going to love it. Uh, but that's last week's books. This week we've got 14 books. Oh, geez, 14 books. Let's go ahead and dive into this. Of course, I'll be reading each book's synopsis with my synopsis voices. Let's get going. Uh, first off, we have Iron Man, number 17. This is written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Ibrahim Roberson and Angel Unzueta. And this is continuing on the Iron God story, uh, having Tony Stark with the power cosmic. Nothing could go wrong, right? Right? 
Um, the story's been good. The story's been good. I'm not sure exactly what they are um, heading towards. I know that due to solicits, we do know that eventually we're going to get to the wedding of Tony Stark and Patsy Walker, but we'll see. We'll see. We've got a couple more issues left in the Iron God story, so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Farewell, my space friends. Tony Stark roils with the power cosmic, the Iron Man, now the Iron God. But despite his best intentions, is this truly a good thing for the Earth and the universe? Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, really doesn't think so, which is why she's gone for broke and enlisted the help of one Doctor Doom. But if there's anybody who can make Tony angry, it's Victor. What happens when a cosmically-powered Stark feels betrayed by the world's most arrogant Latvarian? Likely nothing short of total devastation. Yeah. Yeah. Tells you all you need to know. Speaking of devastation, we have Teen Titans Academy number 12. This is written by Tim Sheridan with art by Tom Dernick, and I believe this is the final issue. I could be wrong, but I think this is the final issue. We'll have to see. But, uh, this is going to conclude at least this first initial run for Teen Titans Academy, giving us the reveal of Teen of Red X that was promised on the cover of last week's or last issue. But either way, we're going to see the end game here. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Expulsion Part 2. It's all come down to this. As their lives are literally tumbling down around them, the Titans must contend with the betrayal of their most troubled student, who has just unmasked themselves as Red X. Plus a familiar face from deep in their darkest days, determined to exact an unholy vengeance upon Nightwing. In the end, after the epic collision of past, present, and future, who and what of Teen Titans Academy will be standing? Yeah, pretty much tells you all you need to know. Hoping for some big reveals. We'll just have to see. Next up, we have Devil's Reign, Villains for Hire number two. This is written by Clay McLeod Chapman with art by Manuel Garcia. And I really enjoyed the first Villains for Hire issue. And now that we're getting uh, some U.S. agent action in there, I'm really interested to see how he's utilized. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Fisk's Fist, part two. What's law got to do with it? Wilson Fisk has laid out a proposition for the villains of the Marvel Universe. Join him or suffer the same fate as the heroes. Or worse. Yeah, pretty much tells you everything you need to know. I'm really digging this new Thunderbolts. Um, I'm kind of sad that it's, you know, that we're already getting a new Thunderbolts after this. Um, and that we're not going to get more time with Deputy of the Law uh, Thunderbolts kind of, you know, throwing their weight around. I'm very interested to pick this up. Next up, we have Supermassive number one. This is the big crossover for the Higginsverse over at uh, Image Comics. And also is celebrating 30 years of Image. So this is a crossover with Radiant Black with other books in the uh, Image universe. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The superhero crossover event of 2022. Spinning out of 2021's hottest new superhero debut, Radiant Black launches into his first crossover event ever with the Image Comics debut of Inferno Girl Red and the first appearance of Rogue Sun. The future of Image's superhero universe is here. So yeah, this sounds like a big... Uh, 
it's it's not like really a crossover. It's more of like, hey, these new characters we're debuting. Radiant Black's been really good. So jumping on point for these characters. But totally okay with that. Really excited. We have uh, Higgins writing with art by uh, Ryan Parrott, Matt Groom, and Francesco Mana. So this is going to be a good one. If you're a fan of Radiant Black, if you're a fan of Image Comics, you're going to want to pick this one up for sure. Next up, we have Action Comics number 1040. 1040, I guess, if you want to be if you want to be technical. Uh, written by Phil Kennedy Johnson and Sean Aldridge with art by Ricardo Federici and Adriana Mello. Um, Action Comics has been good. Action Comics has been good. I have to say, I'm still waiting for the Warworld Saga to really, like, kick into high gear. I like the elements that they are playing with. I like all of the players. But we're going to have to see if they stick a landing. So, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Warworld Saga, Part 5, slash Martian Manhunter, A Face in the Crowd, Part 4. Superman has become a force to be reckoned with inside Warworld's arena, and Mongol questions his decision to keep his enemies alive. As Superman's new Phalosian ally Krill Ux teaches him new ways to fight without powers, he starts to win Warzoons over to his cause. But someone within his inner circle finds their allegiances tested. Meanwhile, the elusive Midnighter uses his talents to find the missing members of the Authority. So yeah, we did see that ultimately Apollo is alive, which is great, but we're going to have to see if it's the real Apollo, because they also, in the Future State Midnighter stuff, it was a fake Apollo, so we'll see. But I am still invested, I'm still interested, we'll have to see if they stick the landing. Next up, we have Dark Ages, number five. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Iban Coelho. Something that has stuck the landing so far has been Dark Ages. Uh, the first four issues have been fantastic. I really love this world. I love the characters. And I'm excited to learn more about the characters we haven't seen so much of yet. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Spider-Man joins Doctor Doom, the X-Men, the Inhumans, the Avengers, and what's left of the Fantastic Four on a rescue mission across a continent ruled by a madman. But... They could be too late. The dictator of Europe has heroes and villains by his side, and the unthinkable is now in motion. Apocalypse could tear the world apart. Yeah, high-stakes stuff. Really excited to read this book. Next up, we have Strange Academy number 16. This is written by Scotty Young with art by Umberto Ramos. And this one is gonna be good. Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis. It's school dance time! These events can go great or horribly, but even more so when magic is added to the occasion. Who will ask who? Who will find love? And whose heart will be broken? Another unforgettable issue is here, and you aren't going to want to miss it. Oh, we love when there's a school dance. Really excited to pick this up. This is going to be a good time. Cannot wait. Next up, we have Robin, number 11. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Gleb Melnikov. Good to see Gleb back and art duties for this book. Um, we're going to see what happens next because I thought this was going to be just like a 12-issue run, but they are still going. They wrapped up the Lazarus tournament and there is more stuff to do. So very excited to see what they do next. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Field trip. They survived the league of Lazarus tournament. 
Damien, Flatline, Ravager, and Connor Hawk celebrate with the rest of the fighters, but their party quickly turns into another deadly fight. Secret crushes are revealed, hearts are broken, and Hawk has one last confrontation with an old enemy before he can return to his former life. That's a lot. Lots of stuff happening, lots of parties happening, which is nice. We always love that. Next up, we have Shang-Chi number nine. This is written by Jin-Lun Yang with art by Marcus Toh. This is a brand new arc. This is a brand new artist as uh, Marcus Toh takes over art duties. And I am excited. I'm excited to see where we go next. Uh, the last arc was fantastic. And I am so excited to continue on this book. This is one of Marvel's best books month to month. So definitely check this out. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Blood and Monsters, Part 1. New arc starts here. For months, a mysterious mastermind has been operating behind the scenes to take down Shang-Chi and his family. Now, he is stepping out of the shadows to make his final strike. His objective? To destroy everyone in Shang-Chi's bloodline. That is huge! Really excited about this. Uh, Shang-Chi has developed this great supporting cast with the other uh, his siblings and the other members of the Five Weapons Society. So I am excited to see where they go next with Shang-Chi. Next up, a brand new number one that I know some people are very excited about. It's Aquaman! Aquaman number one, written by Brandon Thomas and Chuck Brown with art by Sami Basri. This is your big old Calderon, not Calderon, Arthur Curry book. Uh, very excited. Jackson Hyde and Arthur Curry are side by side as Aquaman. We've got Black Manta. This is going to be a great time. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Sins of the Father. When a suicide bomber in Middle America is revealed as an Atlantean sleeper agent seemingly gone rogue, the Aquaman, Arthur Curry, and Jackson Hyde are on the case. But it soon becomes clear that the tragedy was not just a single bad actor, but the beginnings of a much larger and more dangerous chain reaction, and the heart of an explosive Atlantean conspiracy. If Arthur's not careful, the secrets he's keeping from Mera, Tula, Tempest, Atlantis, the Surface, and even Jackson could cause a rift from which the Aquaman might never recover. So if you're an Aquaman fan, this is a great time to be an Aquaman fan. So I'm very excited. This book, I'm not usually an Aquaman guy, but I'll be picking up this number one for sure. Next up, we have Ben Riley Spider-Man number two. That's right, a double dose of Ben Riley, baby. This is written by J.M. DiMatteis with art by David Baldione. I loved that first issue. Absolutely loved it. I'm sad this is a limited series because I loved it so much, but I'm excited to continue on with this. This is part two of five. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The Humanity Agenda, part two. Where is thy sting? Scorpion stings. Ben Riley comes to blows with the sinister Scorpion as Spider-Man begins to face down a gauntlet of his most fearsome foes. But is all as it seems. Very excited about this. Cannot wait. Love me some Ben Riley Spider-Man. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1054 or 1054 or whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is written by Matthew Rosenberg and Mariko Tamaki with art by Max Rayner and Fernando Blanco. And again, Batman Detective Comics, 
absolutely crushing the game. Detective Comics has been ruling ever since Mariko Tamaki took over the book, and I am very intrigued by this House of Wayne backup. The Matthew Rosenberg House of Wayne backup has been fantastic. So it's just a quality book from start to finish. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Tower, Part 8, slash House of Gotham, Chapter 8. It's Nightwing versus Psycho Pirate in the grand finale of Shadows of the Bat, Act 2 of 3. As Gotham's elite gather to celebrate the formal opening of Arkham Tower, Dr. Ware's secret weapon is more unhinged than ever, and the storm clouds of disaster gather above the city's monument to reform. The Party Crashers, the Bat Family, Penguin's Forces, and a tower full of innocent civilians and villainous patients converge in the chapter you'll need to see to believe. Spoiler alert, not everyone makes it out alive. Every story has two sides, and as much as Batman has reached out his hand through the darkness to try to help the boy, there are too many hands in the shadows of Gotham pulling in the other direction. The finale of Act 2 of House of Gotham poses a stark choice. Live with the family you know, or betray everything you've learned to be true. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Very excited. Um, And I I also like these little breaks. These little, like, oh, it's the finale of Act 2. They've got it broken up into three acts. Um, As a theater nerd, makes my heart sing. So, very excited about this. This is going to be a good time. Now, we have The Amazing Spider-Man number 90. We're inching ever closer to the end of the Beyond Era, which makes me sad, uh, but I've been loving it. I really, really enjoy this. Uh, This is written by Patrick Gleason with art by Mark Bagley, which is a hell of a combination if I've ever seen one. Um, Fists will fly, and this is going to be terrible for Ben Riley, and possibly Janine, and possibly Peter Parker. And probably Black Cat. There's a lot of plates spinning on this book, but I'm very excited to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Beyond Chapter 16, Queen Goblin is triumphant. The Daily Bugle is decimated. Can Ben Riley bounce back and take down the Queen Goblin? Short, sweet, to the point. I love it. Um, this has been fantastic. I'm super excited to see how they continue to build upon uh, Ben Riley's Spider-Man ever since we got that cliffhanger that maybe he's got a lot of power and not so much responsibility anymore. This is going to be a great time. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is carrying along the Tom King train. Human Target number five. This is written by Tom King with art by Greg Smallwood. This book is incredible. Incredible. Absolutely wonderful. Last issue was one of my favorite issues I've read all year. Um, And this one is shaping up to be just as good. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Chapter 5. This is a good block. Christopher Chance, a.k.a. the human target, will be dead in a few days. But nothing will stop him from solving his own murder. His investigation into the JLI intensifies, and he sets his sights on the Martian Manhunter. But what piece does John Jones add to the puzzle? I love this. I love the focus on the JLI. I have really, really fallen in love with the character of Christopher Chance. Um, This is so cool. And the treatment by Tom King that he's given this is wonderful. And the art, the art by Greg Smallwood is 
legendary. I love this book, cannot recommend it enough, and that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap the 14 books we've got here. We've got Iron Man number 17, Teen Titans Academy number 12, Devil's Reign, Villains for Hire number 2, Supermassive number 1, Action Comics number 1040, Dark Ages number 5, Strange Academy number 16, Robin number 11, Shang-Chi number 9, Aquaman, Aquaman number 1, Ben Riley's Spider-Man number 2, Detective Comics number 1054, The Amazing Spider-Man number 90, and The Human Target number 5. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to the podcast platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me out. It really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space really raises our stock up and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a rating and review, a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write whatever you want in that review, and I will be forced to read it. If you give me that five stars, it is yours. And you can join the likes of our Dirty Dozen. That includes Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alock and AZ, and Sass. I want to say a huge thank you to all of these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to read yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want to get my opinion on something, maybe a quick pitch, or if you just want to maybe get some recommendations for something we haven't covered on the podcast yet, feel free to email me. I'm an old man. I still read emails. You can send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Just put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the pod. Finally, if you are wanting to keep up to date with the podcast, if you want to participate in polls that decide future episodes, if you want to answer questions, I did a whole thing last week with the Twitter uh, Twitter questions asking what you thought your perfect Marvel comic was. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Pod. It's at GeekSplainedPod. Um, I love getting to talk to you guys. I love getting to shoot the shit back and forth on the latest geeky news. So if you want to keep up to date with me on there, that would be the place to go. Uh, one last plug real quick before we get into the big announcement stuff. Um we have a book club. If this is your first time on the podcast, we have a book club every single Friday. I, alongside my amazing friends, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. We're going to be checking out volume 8 this Friday, so make sure you catch up if you haven't yet. Go check out the previous seven uh, sessions for this season. And if you want, go back and check out the previous season. We did the entirety of Invincible. Had a wonderful time doing it. So go check out that. The Geeksplained Book Club every single Friday. And now Fridays are Spidey Fridays. But next week, we are entering the month of March. And for me... I'm pretty excited about it because, as you know, there is a little film coming out called The Batman. And to that, I say, let's make it a whole 
month. Next week, episode 196 kicks off not just the March to 100, because it's, it's the month of March and it's episode 100 at the end of March, but we are also doing it up with Bat March, an entire month dedicated to Batman. I'm very excited to show off everything that I've been working on. Uh, We've got the 200th episode coming up. We've got our four-year anniversary coming up. Lots of great stuff coming up in the month of March. Cannot wait to share that with you. So tune in next week for part one of Bat March. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Reaching the stars